are also in the middle of our series, Jesus, Money, and You, which we'll finish up next week, and then I'm really excited about in October into November, a series called The Word on Words, all about our speech and how the, the scriptures teach us to use our speech in a world that is super polarizing and has a hard time using their speech well. We wanna be people who learn to do that well. And so I just invite you to be a part of that journey with us. Last week we started this series talking about money and we all know a simple reality, money is a thing. It doesn't have feelings, you know that, right? It doesn't have a personality, doesn't have a pulse, it's a thing. But we all have a relationship when it comes to our money. It has a way of stirring up emotions within us. We have a way of relating to it. In fact, each one of us has a way of relating to money that may have been formed a little bit from your growing up years. It may have been formed from just circumstances that you went through, situations that you had to navigate in life, kind of help shape and tint the way that you approach it, the way you relate with it, the way you interact with it, trying to navigate. How do you manage money? We looked at some kind of some mental shifts that the scriptures speak to us and what Jesus had to say about money. And you may look at the life of Jesus and go, well, what does Jesus really have to say about money? He was a traveling rabbi who never owned a home. Like, he was kind of homeless. And what does he have to, and can I just remind us, when someone can predict their death and their resurrection and pull it off, maybe we should listen to them. And so Jesus has a lot to say about a lot of things. And he has a lot to say. In fact, Peter talked about Jesus being the author of life after he hung around with him and saw him after the resurrection. There was, there was something about who Jesus is and what he did on your behalf and on my behalf that says this guy has credence about life. If the author of life, then maybe he has some things to say about all areas of life, including finances that you and I have to navigate and tiptoe through and figure out how to manage. And so we looked at some mental shifts that the scriptures kind of say, hey, here's some things that you want to shift in the way that you see that you're, you're a manager, not an owner. That things actually become a lot more clear when we live with that kind of mindset. That we begin to cultivate contentment. We begin to grow gratitude. That as we begin to chase after some of these things, it actually has a way of settling some things for us. And so as we kind of dive back into that, just remind you, if you missed that, you can catch it online or the app. You can follow along with Sermon Notes tonight. If you want to open up the app and go to Sermon Notes, you can follow along and see the scriptures we'll look at and things we're going to talk about tonight. But this idea of mental shifts, okay, we got to work on that. And then obviously just having some wisdom to life is good. And so the Bible actually has some wisdom for us when it comes to about money and managing that and navigating how we relate to it. And that's what I want to look at tonight. And then next week, look at how do we grow this heart of generosity that mirrors God's heart of generosity. And so I want to look at that next week, but some wisdom for us. Anyone ever made a money mistake? Okay. Actually, just raise your hands real high. If you've ever made a money mistake, now I want you to look around while the hands are up. Keep your hands up. Look around. You are among friends. Okay. I got my hand up. Okay. It may have been that you ordered too much to eat, at a restaurant and you didn't, you couldn't eat it all and so you end up throwing a bunch away. Anyone ever done that here in America? Okay, just, so like that's a simple one. Maybe you made an investment that went south and that hurts a little bit, but in hindsight you're like, maybe I shouldn't have listened to that person who talked that way. And, and so anyone ever got a timeshare? Okay, moving on. Okay, so just, um, <clears throat> This idea of challenge for us. How do we come to, I don't know if you've ever been that person that's like you bought that exercise equipment because it was going to change your life 
and then it became a very expensive clothes hanger, and you end up selling it in a garage sale, just hypothetically speaking. I have no experience with this at all. Okay, that was me. Maybe you've made some mistakes when it comes to money. No one bats a thousand when it comes to money. We all have some mistakes in our history, and we'll probably have some more in our future. And so what's important for us to understand is maybe we need more wisdom than we think. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about that. The scriptures speak of this idea of craving wisdom, to look for that, to hunger for that, because Jesus calls us to say, look, there's this tension that's going to exist in your lifetime, and it's never going to go away. There's this reality about money that's not going to change. There's this reality of, of proof that you cannot serve both God and money. That's what we looked at last week, of Jesus saying, look, there's going to be this tension. And it's not a problem you're going to solve and never deal with it again. But it's going to be a tension you're going to have to navigate all your life. There's going to be this pull. And Jesus is saying, will you choose me? over money. And will you do that on Tuesday? And will you do that on Thursday and on Saturday night and next year and next decade? This is a choice you and I will have to wrestle with and continue to, to kind of say, look, so wisdom when it comes to money as it comes to the scriptures is something that's really important. Now, wisdom is invisible. No one's offering a BOGO offer on wisdom. You're not going to run down to Target and pick some up. It's not something you can order on Amazon. It's, it's not like practical, like I can see, okay, I need a new water bottle. I can see that. I can. But wisdom is actually what you need more. And it's something that when you get it, you begin to find that it actually helps you have gains and avoid losses when it comes to your life, let alone financial. And so Proverbs 16, 16 says this, how much better to get wisdom than gold? Good judgment than silver. Okay, we know gold's important. We've been watching the numbers. We know silver matters. We can watch those numbers. But wisdom's kind of this invisible thing. And yet, what the scriptures continually come back to over and over is you want to get wisdom. It's actually really valuable. And you want to hold on to it. And you want to grow in it more and more as you go throughout life. And so what you see in the scriptures is this pull to say, look, crave wisdom. Seek it out. Go find it. And so tonight I want to look at just real practical stuff, I think, when it comes to some money wisdom. How do we go about navigating some things? So this may feel really practical for some of you. This may feel real um, kind of elementary in a way. But here's the truth. Maybe what we learned in kindergarten it is really some of the most important lessons in life. Maybe some of the things that we learn early on are things that we need to not let go of and actually need to continue to hold on to as they help us move forward in life. You can find a godly good plan and you can work it for your good. That's wisdom. Not just understanding something or knowing about something, but being able to understand and put it to use and how you go about. Now, how many of you remember elementary school? And you remember lined paper, right? I'm assuming you went to elementary school. Perfect. Okay, so we're there. So you remember lined paper, right? And you remember as a kindergartner, you were learning to write, first grade learning to write, and they would always say, write within the margins, within the lines, right? Keep it within the lines. 
And so you'd practice really, uh, really gently, maybe not so much gently, but you'd work on it, and you're trying to keep it out of the margins on the lines itself. And you'd work hard at it. And then second grade came along, and third grade. And you started noticing sports or noticing people. And so you would write little notes in the side of the margin to the person in the desk next to you to find out what they thought about something, right? Or maybe junior high came along. You started doodling a lot more. How many doodlers are in the room? So you would fill up the margins of the page around you, right? And pretty soon, by the time you got to middle school, high school, you would just kind of fill up the whole page because you were bored during the lecture. Some of you might doodle right now. It's okay. Uh, but you were the doodler, and you would fill it to the edge. But here's the problem of going all the way to the edge. Sometimes you can fall off, right? Think about that when it comes to understanding how do we navigate finances in a way that helps us live maybe within the margins. In fact, the scriptures have some things to say about that. How do we begin to live not so much to the full edge of everything? Let's just be honest. We live in a world that says, go get everything and do all things, right? We have so much advertising. I don't need to tell you about it. How much money is spent to advertise for you and for me to say, I don't have what I need. I need to go get more. Just think about the messages you hear every single day, the messages I hear every single day. And so it, we can move away from the importance of saying, hey, how do we stay within the lines? How do we, the importance of margin and beginning to understand that. What we see in the Old Testament often is this rhythm of margin that we see. And so if you have your Bibles, you can take it and go to Proverbs 3, verse 9. We see in the Old Testament, followers of God were instructed to live with certain margin, certain rhythm of margin in life. They talked about this idea that they would honor God first with their finances because they were a manager, not the owner. And so it changes your perspective of how you look at things. And so here they would say, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. What that literally meant is that when you're, we would go out in obviously a different society than maybe what you're, assuming you're not farming right now, uh, but like in a farming society, you would go out and you would kind of dedicate when the first bit of the crops started coming up, they would tie a ribbon around a section, about a 10% section of their crop. And they would say, God, I'm dedicating this to you. It's to honor you for the way that you bless me, the way you work through me, the way that you want me to manage the things because you're the owner of all things, you've got it, and you're going to want to make this grow. And so I'm going to dedicate this part to you. I'm going to honor you first, and then I'm going to grow this whole rest of the crop. And so you go throughout the season, you would go to harvest season, you would harvest that, you would take that in, you would honor God with that, and you would say, that's what this verse is getting at. Honor God first, let that be a rhythm, let that be part of the margin that you set aside and in agrarian culture, this would be something that plays out all the time. But they would also, when they went to harvest, they would have this other rhythm where they wouldn't harvest every single last thing there. We read about this in Leviticus 10, 9 through 10. It says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, see that you do not reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of all your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor. I am the Lord, your God. So there was this rhythm of margin to the way they would live their life 
they would dedicate some, they would say, God, I'm going to honor you, and then I'm not going to just take every last drop of everything I can get from it. I'm going to leave some to be a blessing to others. And so there's this importance of margin. And what if, in an incredible culture and land in which we live, what if a group of people begin to say, I want freedom when it comes to my finances? I've never met anyone in talking about finances that says, you know what, I love being burdened by finances. I love the stress it brings. No one says that. What everyone wants is freedom. They want a sense of just kind of like, okay. Now, there's seasons that are up and down for all of us. Every single one of us here has challenges that come our way that, that take us out of a rhythm. But what we see lived out in the pages of Scripture is this rhythm of margin. And what if in our culture that pushes everything away from that, go all the way to the edge, fill up the page, fill up every part of your life, do it all. Do you know the average American spends 103% of their income? Let me say that again in case you missed the math. The average American spends 103% of what they make. How can you do that? Credit. That's how you can do that. Now, I'm not bashing credit. I'm not here to say that. Uh, what I hope for, to, to give us tonight is some wisdom to say, how do you begin to, to live with maybe a different rhythm than what our culture pushes us? Our culture says operate in a whole different level where you live beyond the margin and you go all the way to the edge and you push and push and push and you hope that you don't fall off the edge. You hope that it doesn't become so cluttered that you can't see straight. Whereas what we see the rhythm in scripture is to say, look, let's live with some margin and let's give ourselves some space to say, look, here's how God's called us to be a manager, not an owner. Now, credit is not all bad, but often it is. There's a simple verse in Proverbs 22 that says this. Proverbs is a book all about wisdom. If you ever want to grow in wisdom, especially as a young person, I got to do this in my high school, college years. I was challenged. Read the proverb of the day. There's 31 of them. So today is what? 22nd. So today you would read what? See, it's pretty simple. And to grow in wisdom is to say, look, I, I want to take the wisdom of God and get it into my life more and more. I, I want to own that. I want to get better at it. Here's what Proverbs 22 says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Anyone still paying off student loans? Ouch. You had to go there, man? Yeah, because that's, that's this verse. I, I know it's not easy. I, I'm not trying to stand up here. We're not trying to stand up here and say, look, it's real simple. Just do this, this, and this. I know it's complicated. I know it's not necessarily just laid out easy, but what if there was a different rhythm? See, learning to live with margin actually brings more freedom, not less. And that's what you want. Sitting here, if we were not ever going to have coffee and we would actually honestly talk about this, that's what you would tell me. I want to experience more freedom. Well, then if you want to experience more freedom, maybe there's a path that we've got to begin to wrestle with. Does that mean some hard choices have to be made? Probably. 
Does that mean it's a stretch and maybe you can't get there overnight? Probably. But it means I can begin to take some steps to get to where I want to go. We each can have a financial plan. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. That's what we see from wisdom is we can have a plan and work it. And the small choices that we begin to make today actually help us into our future. And we all want that. Now, that's not easy to deliberately do that day after day after day. That's where the challenge comes. That's where it's hard. But to operate with wisdom is the choice that you want to make. You want to get there. Proverbs 21 says this, Good, God, uh, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So there is this idea of I've got to live within a plan. I've got to figure out, okay, how do I begin to live with margin? How do I begin to understand this? And just maybe think of this because some people get so overwhelmed when it comes to financial things. And some of you are, you're maybe wired this way where you love this stuff. Like spreadsheets is your middle name. For some of you, like Excel, I hate. Anyone? Anyone? So like you don't like it. And that's fine. What if you were to simplify it? down to, okay, here's my committed money, here's my spendable money. Here's my committed money. Here's the money I'm committing to say, God, I want to honor you with it. I want to set some a little bit aside, and then I'm committed to, like, here's the bills I have, here's the things I want to do. And then the spendable money just becomes that kind of slush where you can begin to work. That's where you can live, and that's when you begin to create that, you begin to create some margin. And you're not living all the way to the edge. That means you have to say no to things means you get to say yes to some things. And so you begin to live with this idea of how do you go about doing this? Well, you begin to work through wisdom in developing a plan, and your plan may be different than your neighbor's plan. And guess what? That's okay. Because they need a plan that works for them, and you need a plan that works for you, and I need a plan that works for me. And your family or you as a single person need to sit down and go, okay, here's my plan. We need to work a plan. If you were to practice good and godly ways and wisdom of working through that plan, you will be responsible. You will learn to live a little bit within your margin. And ultimately, you will grow a heart of generosity, which I've never met someone yet who doesn't want to be generous. But when you live all the way to the edge, you have no capacity to be generous. So when you live with margin, then it frees up the opportunity to say, God, I want my heart to be more and more like yours. And I want to be able to respond as you lead me to respond. And so in our culture, I thought maybe you could try to simplify it this way. Um, in our culture, there's kind of, I'm going to talk about three buckets. So here's the live bucket, the save bucket, and the give bucket. In our culture, if we were to boil it all down just to try to get a plan, I've got 10 bucks here. We're going to let that represent our income, okay? So wherever you are, this is just simplifying it down for us to begin to get our mind around this, okay? In our culture that doesn't live with margin, it doesn't live with an expectation to do anything other than take care of yourself, where do you think most of the money is being pushed to, to go into which bucket? Is it this one? No, it's not the give bucket, right? More than likely, it's the live bucket. So maybe 90% goes there. And so I've got $1 left to say, well, I want to be generous. And so, 
but I also have a future, and so I need to work on that, and, and I, I don't know if I should save it or if I should give it or, man, I really like that shirt. I'm going to get that shirt, and so that's really cool because Ricky will say something about it, and so um, I just go live. But here's what you see when you read through Scripture. When you begin to, to see this idea of living with margin, is that you realize in our culture, this is what's pushed. But if you want to experience more freedom, maybe we need to flip the script a little bit. And what happens is we begin to say, no, we're gonna make giving a priority. God, you're the owner, I'm the manager. And so we're gonna set some aside on purpose and I'm going to think priority and percentage, and, and I don't know what that is, but God, I want to give you first. I want to honor you. Now, I know that I need to live, and I know I've got a future, and I know I need to work on that, and so I actually would be wise for me to put a little bit of money aside. Do you realize Forbes magazine came out two years ago and said the 64% of Americans could not handle a $500 emergency that popped up in their life. They don't have the scope, the capacity to handle that. But what if you begin to live with a little bit of margin where you can begin to say, no, I'm gonna work on that. See, when Amy and I first got married, we got a credit card and it was awesome. Do you know how much you could do with a credit card? Let me tell you, it was super cool. Until like they started to send the bill to that and I don't know if you guys know, but like they want you to pay that back. And so you begin to, to rack up debt and it begins to become kind of what that verse was saying is the borrower is a slave to the lender. And you feel captive in that. And so you begin to work. One of the best decisions we ever made was quite a few years ago, we got rid of all of our credit cards. We don't use them. I'm not saying that to toot a horn. I'm just saying for us, that was we have to change what we're doing. And so we did that. And we began to work to say, what does it look like to, to honor God first and to give to his kingdom effect and know that that's something I get to invest in that outlives me, that's for my kids and their kids and their kids, that will be a blessing to this world. And I will see more people in heaven for that because I want to I do that. And so we give to the church, we give to a couple other organizations that we believe in, and we begin to try to save a little bit, and we didn't get fully to a percentage we wanted yet, but we knew we had to live too, and so what if this became the rhythm of life where I just said, okay, God, I want to honor you first. I want to save a little bit for my future to be wise, and I'm going to live on the rest, which means I've got to say no to things at times, which means I've got to to operate with wisdom when it comes to money. I'm not going to live all the way to the edge. I want to try to build some margin in my life. Now, if you are a math person, you just saw percentages right there, right? For some of you, you instantly shut down because you're like, give God 10%. <laughs> Jackie, you don't understand. I'm, I'm all the way to the edge right now. Here's what I don't want you to see. I don't want you to think percentage. What I want you to think is priority. I want you to think priority. 
If this is a rhythm that you want and that you're sitting there going, I would love to have more of that, then what will you do today that will begin to move you to where you want to be someday? What can you do today that will move, begin to move you to where you want to be someday? And maybe you're not here yet. Then don't shut down and quit on me. Look at the buckets, okay? I want to get better at giving to you, God. I want to get better at giving to things around me that I care about. I want to get better at saving. And I know i got to live. And so what would God be nudging you to do to say, look, how can I begin to make movement because for some of you, this has been the bucket that's dominated everything. And I'm just trying to introduce you to what the scriptures kind of say is maybe this is actually a more free way to live. And the freedom can be experienced here. That you begin to exercise that, and begin to move the buckets yourself and begin to start somewhere and how you can go about doing that. How you can begin to live wisely. I wanna highlight one thing that's coming in January. Uh, we do a Financial Peace University class around here. It's nine weeks, starts in mid-January. If you're sitting here and you go, I just want to get some handles around this. I want to make a movement. Next year is what year? We're in 2019 right now. 2020. What do they always say about 2020? Perfect vision, right? That just sounds cool to say 2020. What if in 2020 you were saying, look, I know where I am right now and I don't like it. I've got the buckets confused, but I wanna make movement. Can I just invite you to maybe join some other people who have been in this journey before with FPU, Financial Peace University? It's not the end all. I'm not a Dave Ramsey disciple, I'm a Jesus disciple, okay? But there's some wisdom, and that's what we're talking about. How do you gain wisdom in how you go about living and managing and relating to the money God's given you to manage? You're not the owner, you're the manager. So how can you live with margin? How can you live with wisdom in that? Uh, one of the best decisions Amy and I started a few years into our marriage is um, we would do the, the sleep on it effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of this or not, but anything that was gonna cost us over $100, we just said we're gonna sleep on it. And what that meant was we're not gonna buy it right now in the store. Every person who's a salesperson, and I apologize if you're a salesperson, you want people to buy stuff right then and there. I get it. That's your job. But for a person who's using wisdom instead of impulse, maybe a wise thing you can do, the simplest thing we did that helped us was just, we're going to sleep on this. And more often than not, we'd wake up the next morning and we'd go, yeah, man, that sounded really cool last night, but... I don't think we really need that. It's learning to remember the difference between a need and a want. And your wants scream at you. Your needs will scream at you if you ignore them. But wants yell real loud to get your attention. But the needs will scream at you. You don't want them to scream because that's where the stress and the pain comes from. And so what would it look like to just exercise some wisdom? So here's the simple challenge for you and I tonight. Me too, because we're all still in this journey. What is the one piece of wisdom that you feel like God is nudging you to make this fall? What's a wisdom tactic that, that God is nudging you to say, I want you to do this with the money I've given you to manage? For some of you, your buckets are out of order, 
and that's what's sticking out to you. For some of you, it's this whole idea of sleeping on something, okay, I never thought of that. Or some of you, it may be nothing you heard from me tonight, but it may be something that either your parents or someone else that you've seen that's wise, that you trust, that has said something about that, and you go, I've always wanted to do that, but I've never really made it a priority to do that. And so what is the wisdom tactic when it comes to money that you want to work on, you and God, this fall? It is September, the middle of September. What if you just took the next three months to make some progress on that? That's your challenge. That's my challenge. That's our invitation to say, God, we want to get better at using money with wisdom. And so would you help us with that? The Bible is chocked full of a whole bunch of other wisdom I don't have time to unpack tonight, but I just invite you to think about something you've heard tonight or something you've heard in the past. What is the one tactic that God's kind of nudging your heart to say, I want to see movement in this. Let me help you. Here's the beauty of God. He already knows our needs, doesn't he? So he's dialed into your life, friend. I know sometimes you hear stuff like this and you feel a little overwhelmed or defeated. I don't want you to feel defeated. I want you to know that the God who made the heavens and the earth, who raised Jesus from the dead, is for you. He's not against you. He wants you to live with wisdom and he's willing to help you get there. That means we have to partner also. We have a part of the equation of saying yes to saying, Jesus, I wanna live with more wisdom. And that means I need to make some choices sometimes. And so what is that one piece that you want to work on within the next three months with God to make some wisdom choices? And so, Father, that's what we pray for. It's kind of a real practical thing and a simple thing, but it's a necessary thing. And so often in the busyness and the chaos of life, the challenges that do arise as they come, our plan can get off kilter. And so far, each one gathered here. Would you whisper some wisdom into their life of maybe a a tactic, a step that you long for them to take and that you promised to go on that journey with us in that. God, you are so good. You are so good to us. I pray for each family, each single that's represented here. God, would you bless them? Not just emotionally and spiritually, But God, would you bless them financially as well? We're not here to get rich, God. But would you bless them to let them know that your activity is is active in their life? Would you surprise them? Would you surprise them with wisdom to begin to say, how do I begin to honor you, God, first? How do I begin to, to maybe live with some wisdom, some margin in my own life to say yes to my future along with you? God, we are grateful for Jesus, the ultimate display of your activity and your grace and your mercy just for us to announce again that you are a God who is for us, not against us. God, for families that are represented here that are living to the edge and maybe there's circumstances that have unfolded that have, that have pushed them there and they don't want to be there. Father, I pray that your activity and your wisdom and your mercy would be activated again within their life to breathe some hope and encouragement into them. God, would you free us up as a church to be a people that that pour in and invest into your good that you're doing in this world, that we could be a blessing, not just emotionally or physically or mentally, but also financially 
to the people around us who are stuck and struggling, that we could bless and encourage and bring a whole new path forward for them. So Jesus, we remember, as we pause for communion and we remember your life, your death, your resurrection, that gives us the hope that holds us in each and every scenario and situation of life. In each season, you're there with us. We're never alone. We're grateful for that. So as we remember you tonight, as we sing a song all about surrender, God, would you move our hearts to say, God, we, we surrender the areas of our life, including the financial area of our life. God, we wanna be a good steward of what you've blessed us with. Would you give us wisdom that we need to move forward with you in that? So these next couple minutes, would you meet us and stir our hearts afresh?